Hello and welcome to Imagine America Radio, a service of the Imagine America Foundation and Imagine America Publishing Company. My name is Bob Martin. I'm the president and CEO of Imagine America Foundation. In the last 20 years, Imagine America has provided scholarship support and tuition assistance to students attending career colleges all across this country. The purpose of this podcast is to promote technical and career education and to inform the public of career opportunities that are not just in high demand, but essential to the American workforce. We hope you will enjoy today's podcast. This episode of Imagine America Radio is sponsored by Ambassador Education Solutions, your school's go-to partner for simple, effective, and affordable course materials. Ambassador helps schools get print and digital resources into students' hands quickly and easily. As more schools turn to inclusive access during these uncertain times, Ambassador automates the process for students, enables easy opt-in for publisher direct content, and helps schools comply with U.S. Department of Education requirements. Coming this June, Ambassador is launching its Next Generation Course Materials platform. Go to ambassadored.com for more information. Thank you, Ambassador. Welcome to Imagine America Radio. The topic of today's episode of Imagine America Radio is designed to give our audience an update on the COVID-19 epidemic, and also give our audience a good school reopening process for the many quality career and technical colleges in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Joining us today for this episode of Imagine America Radio is Aaron Shank. Aaron serves as Executive Director of PAPSA, the Pennsylvania Association of Private School Administrators. PAPSA was created in 1967 to represent the interest of Pennsylvania's growing technical and post-secondary career schools. Imagine America has been working with PAPSA and as many, many member schools for over 20 years. Since its creation in 1967, PAPSA has continued to grow its membership both on career colleges and associated business members, with both profit and nonprofit schools being members currently, and has also added a very meaningful adult education and training programs for its members. Aaron, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. May we call you, Aaron? Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks again. Let's start today's program, if you don't mind, with, with, with your explanation of what the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania has asked the, past, the PAPSA member schools to do to respond to the current COVID-19 epidemic. And then second, when was your state's stay-at-home order put in place, and what's the current status of, of that executive order on the part of your governor? Sure. Uh, first, let me again thank, uh, thank you, Bob. Thank you, Lee, for having me on today. And thank you uh, to Imagine America for the work you do uh, with schools uh, across the country. Uh, to answer your, your, your first question, uh, the stay-at-home order, stay-at-home order in Pennsylvania, it started actually, it was originally a phased-in uh, order where they, they started closing several counties and uh, businesses in the counties where there's a early level of uh, high cases. And, and that started on March 23rd. And then it quickly, and I mean quickly, within days, uh, all the business across the Commonwealth was essentially shut down. And then within another day or two after that, the full stay-at-home order was in place. And that was in place originally, it was made on April 1st, and it was supposed to extend through April 30th initially. And then obviously, as we know, uh, this proceeded a little longer than people hoped. And then there's a couple extensions, and now we're starting the process to uh, 
to slowly relift that stay-at-home order in different sections of the Commonwealth as well. Um, this is obviously a, it was a very uh, trying time for some schools initially. I mean, these these orders initially came out. It wasn't like, uh, hey, you know, it's March 23rd, you've got to close your school down in a week or two. It was March 23rd, you got to close your school down tomorrow, um, or by 8 p.m. tonight, or something very very quick. Um, and these schools literally got caught, you know, somewhat off guard. Some of them had, I can tell you, some of the schools had done some pre-planning ahead of this as kind of just in case we got in different positions. I don't think anyone thought it was going to get to where it got, but there was some level pre-planning by some schools early on, but but honestly, most of them had to essentially close down their institution in most cases overnight. Um, we had to pivot very quickly. We uh, obviously, as you know, most of our programs are hands-on trained technical programs, and those are programs that although some have done online education or, or remote education in the past, uh, mostly it's something that's done hands-on and in person. So they had to pivot very quickly. And, and so we did our association, we worked with our uh, part of education and our private license school board, which oversees a lot of our institutions. And we immediately got an emergency meeting um, on the schedule and both our partner of ed and the private license school board was very good to work with on that and very quickly gave schools a lot of temporary flexibilities that were not already in place legally. And we work with them to get these schools, these temporary authorities to do remote education and, and some other things in this time. We also have some schools that are, that are uh, licensed through the Department of State in Pennsylvania. And we also work with them as well to get them some temporary flexibilities. Now, uh, those are uh, massage, more cosmetology and barbering programs um, and, and some massage as well. And, and those programs got flexibilities, but they also got, uh, the state would only do it at a certain number of hours. So they basically did caps and hours. Uh, but we work with, with the, all the government agencies to get, get those flexibilities in place um, pretty quickly. And then the other thing is that we also had to work with schools immediately to look at uh, different, you know, different platforms. Um, some, some were your true online platforms that you would really consider online education. Sometimes it might have just been a Zoom meeting emails, phone calls, but you had to, you know, schools had to basically find a way to deliver remote instruction very quickly and they used many different platforms. So it was a, it was a, it was a learning process, but it was done very quickly uh, by, by many schools. Okay, now this is Lee Doubleday. I'm talking to Aaron Shank, the executive director of PAPSA. Okay, Aaron, now the purpose of this episode is to inform our listeners of the reopening process. Now I'm assuming that this may vary from county to county, but can you explain what the overall reopening strategy is? And is this something that's gonna be broken into stages? Um, you know, which, which counties will start uh, uh, first and second, and how will the reopening of classes sort of work in career and technical education institutions? Sure, well, thank you for the question, Lee. Uh, actually, just by sheer coincidence, the timing of this question is, is perfect because uh, as of earlier today, I, this, this podcast being taped on June 3rd, I'm not sure the air date, but, but uh, as of earlier day, June 3rd, uh, a little before noon, the governor released his plan for reopening higher education across the Commonwealth. And I will be honest with you, uh, PAPSA had, I think, a pretty significant role in the development of the plan. We actually, my board of directors, did get a, uh, a essentially a virtual meeting with our state secretary of health, who basically uh, the secretary of health and the governor have been the primary decision makers through through the pandemic in Pennsylvania. And we were, we were able to walk her through um, basically how we felt our schools could reopen safely, walk through uh, health and safety plans, and there was a really positive discussion. In addition to that call, we had conversation with the governor's office, 
Department of Ed, Department of State, uh, many state lawmakers. We actually, PAPSA got to testify in front of the state Senate on how to reopen higher education in the Commonwealth. So it was a very, uh, we were very active trying to make sure we got schools uh, to open it sooner than later. And I'll, and candidly, after I reviewed what they put out today, most of what's, you know, a lot of what's in the plan on the higher ed side is stuff that we've been talking about for several weeks. So I was very, very pleased that all the work that our board of directors, our members, and, and everyone did did not fall on deaf ears uh, with, the, with the government of Pennsylvania. Now, in terms of how it's reopening, I'll first talk in general in terms of how the state is, is handling reopening, and then I'll dive a little deeper into uh, higher education specifically. What our state is doing, it's basically it is a phased approach. They're using the term, I've seen different terminology by different states, but ours is using basically a color-coded uh, system where basically it's red, yellow, green. So if you're in a county, and it's all county-based, if you're in a county that's red, that's essentially meaning you're, you're still under the full stay-at-home orders. If you're a county in yellow, you're allowed to reopen, but under you know sniffing conditions and a lot of rules and, and um, other things you need to consider. And then once you go green, then that's kind of like your county is, is you know, mostly in clear. There's still some rules and, and stuff tied to green as well, but, but that's essentially the, 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 the all clear color for, for Pennsylvania. As of right now, uh, most, I'd say about half of our state, mostly on the western side of the state and the northern side of the state or northern tier of the state is in green or, or, or will be moved to green by this Friday. Um, the central part of state I live in is currently in yellow and I think will be moving to green shortly. And then our southeastern side and eastern side of the state is mostly still in red, but is supposed to move to yellow as of this Friday. Um, so there is a lot of progress. I'll also say in general, our case counts have been going down pretty, pretty steadily over the last few weeks. Uh, we maxed out, we had about three weeks in a row, I think of uh, about 12 to 1300 cases on average a day. And that's kind of where it peaked and it stayed that level for, for you know, two, three weeks. And now we're down to give or take, paying the day somewhere between about, you know, give or take around 500 a day. So there is a, a, there's been a, you know, pretty good decline in cases, which I think has allowed the Commonwealth to really start looking at reopening. Now, um, and actually let me add one more thing before I talk about higher education in general. The way they're looking at the, uh, the reopening for each county is basically a mathematical formula of, uh, you know, looking at your population size. It's 50 people per 100,000 uh, in the population. Um, that's the kind of the number they're using. Then they're extrapolating it over, you know, you know how big your county is, and then over a 14-day stretch. So it's a mathematical formula they're using. And now they will say that it's not the only thing they're looking at. They're looking at that along with things like uh, testing capacity, population density, deaths. So there's a number of things they are looking at, but it's mostly a mathematical formula. Now, as I said earlier today, they announced the higher ed plan specifically. What they announced today is essentially what we've been asking for for a couple of weeks, and that was to make sure that higher ed um, was allowed to open in yellow, not just in green, but allowed to open in yellow as long as they had, as long as the institution had a very specific uh, health and safety plan that they could, that they could show that they were following all the CDC Department of Health guidelines. And that is essentially exactly what they did today. Uh, they released the, the plan that does say that schools can open in yellow. Um, but if you open in yellow, you have to assure social distancing. Uh, you're limited in the number of group sizes to less than 25. So there's, there's a number of restrictions they put in for schools opening in yellow, but they're all ones that at least our sector um, can manage pretty, pretty easily. 
Um, some of the other sectors of higher ed may have more challenges, you know, given the differences in the nature of their schools, but, but our sector can very easily manage under the rules that have been set up for yellow in Pennsylvania. And then once uh, an institution area is in green, uh, they're essentially full, full operation for their campus. Uh, you know, they're capped at 250 people at a setting, and they're still supposed to follow CDC guidelines, but for the most part, green, the institutions are then fully open. So thank you. Wow, that's a, that's a lot of really great information. Um, now, let me ask you this. What do you see being the largest challenge that our colleges are going to face regarding, I guess, both the pandemic, but also their reopening strategy? Is it going to be, you know, informing the students of when they're allowed to come in? If I'm assuming now that schools are opening in the yellow. Um, what, what do you think is the biggest challenge that our schools are going to face with the reopening strategy? Sure. Um, I'll answer that. You know, I've talked to, you know, I can't tell you how many different schools last few weeks, and, and I don't know if there's a single answer for each of them. Um, so I'll just go through a number of different answers I've heard. Yes, staying in touch with some of the students is, is one. Um, you know, that, that's certainly one challenge. Obviously, financial uh, impacts, uh, you, know, the, you know, when you basically have to go this long with, you know, possibly no students in some cases or limited number of students, um, you know, you know that you know, that's obviously has a big financial impact to, to the schools as well, and that's probably I would, I would assume financial is something that's probably impacting all of them at least to some degree. Some some maybe more th more than others. Other challenges, just getting people comfortable to come back again is is a concern. I mean, that could be that could be students, or that could be staff. You know, I, I know some institutions have told me they've spoken in their student body, their staff, and that they are comfortable. Others, they got some you know hesitancy. So just you know, gaining that comfortability to come back is is certainly an issue. Uh, dealing with new delivery models, that's, you know, in some cases they've gone very well. Some institutions said, said they had mixed results, but they're you know, dealing with different delivery models right now. Obviously, enrollment is, is a big question mark. You know, higher ed was already declining in enrollment uh, prior to this to some degree. And then we have to essentially close your doors for the most part for two to three months. Uh, that doesn't help. And then during that process, how do you market your school uh, to future students? How do you give students tours to let them see the school if the doors are closed? So there's things that, that you know, will make the, the short-term enrollments of their institutions possibly a challenge. And I'll, I'll get into, you know, maybe later in this conversation, long-term, where I do see some positives, but, but in short-term enrollment could be an issue. Big thing is liability protections. We've been telling all, all of our schools to, to make sure they're consulting with their insurance companies, their, their attorneys, their compliance officers, uh, to make sure that they are fully protected in the liability uh, issues in terms of when they do open their doors again. Then I got some other specific things that might be school by school specific. Um, one thing which is a big concern, and I'm not sure there's an answer to it yet, is some of the schools that do allied health programs. If the students have to go into an externship or something to, to do a hands-on portion outside the school at a actual healthcare facility, there, you know, a lot of these facilities are not open to the public right now because of COVID. Uh, and there's been some challenges getting students externships and getting them into their, you know, a, a clinical um, at, at an actual healthcare facility. Other things like uh, I mentioned earlier, you know, cosmetology, barber, massage schools, those schools you know, and, and their graduates are in programs that are directly hands-on. I mean, you, you can't do those careers without actually touching a human. So, you know, assuring social distancing that can be done a little more easily at a school in terms of they can use mannequins and, and other, other things instead of a human. 
but at some point you want your student to hopefully work on a human. And so in the, the short term and you know, as they get their doors open and let's say yellow, uh, they may not be able to do that hands-on touch of a human because they can't assure social distancing, but then hopefully by green and thereafter, uh, they'll be able to do that. A few other just quick things I'd say, some of the challenges I've heard from schools is uh, the CARES Act money the federal government passed. Obviously they're very appreciative of that money, but they, there's very specific uh, uses for it and they have to be very careful of how they spend the money and well document it uh, so that they don't you know, you know, find themselves in a compliance matter in the long run. And other than that, I just say, just in general, you know, through this time, working with all the different state, federal uh, creditors, there's been a lot of different guidance, a lot of different rules by different people and you have to try to line them all up and that's not always easy. So that's, I you know, gave you a pretty detailed list, but obviously there's lots of different challenges and each of those may impact each school a little differently. Yeah, yeah, wow, it is a lot of information and um, you know, something that I found compelling of what you said was the externships. You know, that's not something I uh, had originally thought about, um, but I could see where that would be a problem, you know, especially for the allied health schools like you had mentioned. Um, so seems like there's a lot. Um, so tell me something about PAPSA. Um, what has PAPSA done to help their member schools during this time? Can you kind of just briefly explain to me what, what you've been doing uh, at PAPSA to help uh, Pennsylvania institutions? Yes, uh, first of all, it's been a very interesting two to three months. Uh, it's, I can easily say, even though I've been working from my home 99.9% .9 of the time, it's been one of the busiest uh, two to three months I can, I can recall in my career with the, with the association. So we've done a lot. Uh, the first thing I would say is, is sheer information flow. One of the things we try to focus on is making sure that schools have as much information as possible, both on the virus itself, but then also on the various, you know, federal, state, accreditor guidelines, uh, anything we can give them. Uh, we've been trying to make sure they have as much information as possible so they can make their, their own informed decisions on what to do as easily as possible. So information flow has been a big one. And, and trust me, the information, as, I mean, every day new stuff was coming out. Um, and, and so it was, it was you know, a lot of work just to stay on top of it and then make sure the schools got it. The, the second thing I'd, I would say is that, as mentioned a little bit earlier, when we talked about the reopening plan, we did a lot of direct lobbying and advocacy for, for our schools over the last couple of months. We, that's something we do in general, but usually it, you know, it's on different stuff. I mean, we had to you're lobbying and advocacy on stuff I never would imagine I'd had to do. Uh, just a few months ago. So, and that started with, as soon as the schools closed, uh, working with the various state, federal creditors and everyone to get them the, the temporary flexibilities they needed to continue some level of remote instruction while the doors were closed. So we did a lot of that on the front end. And then kind of in the middle part, there was just a lot of, you know, uh, things we, we, you know, some special, you know, one up, or, you know, Certain things would pop up here and there. We actually had, we were able to help get some of our CDL truck driving schools uh, to open early. Uh, some of the healthcare schools got to open early because they were both healthcare and CDL with logistics were considered essential services at this time, so they needed labor. So we were able to do some things uh, in terms of getting schools open earlier for some specific sectors, but then really the bulk of the work, as I mentioned earlier, last few weeks was getting the rest of the schools reopened and. And I can't tell you how much work that involved and how many different people we had to speak to. And, and, and you know, I'm just very pleased that as of today, um, it looked to show to lead to some success. Uh, the other thing we did over the last, you know, couple weeks, months, is just answer very individualized questions. And I had 
countless schools daily email, text me, call me, whatever it may be, just with individualized questions. So we tried to do our best to answer as many of those as, as we could. I'll be honest with you, there's some days we probably didn't get to answer everyone that came in just because the, the question flow was so high, but we did try to answer as many as we could. And then one of the things we did do several times because we couldn't uh, probably answer every single individual question as quickly as we usually do, we did periodically schedule uh, statewide calls uh, at several times to kind of go over what we knew and try to take some some Q and A uh, through statewide calls. So that's that's a you know a quick snapshot of what we've been up to over the last two three months. Well, you sound uh, you sound very busy. Um, sounds like you guys have been doing a lot to help your schools, which is a great thing. So thank you for that. Um, okay, so Aaron, you work with all kinds of schools, you know, all across the state. And do you hear any positive takeaways coming from this pandemic? And do you believe that schools are going to go back to the way that they were delivering education before? Or do you think that they are uh, moving forward going to deliver education maybe a little bit differently? Um, what are your takeaways on that? And what are you hearing from schools? Uh, yes, I, I've been hearing from a lot of schools. And, and again, uh, I'd say my answer is probably, you know, different schools that that answer might be a little different to each, each independent school. But there are some common answers I heard. It may not apply to everyone, but I'd say... I did hear from many institutions that who may have never have done remote or online before and that were purely hands-on uh, have realized that they can actually do some pieces of the curriculum uh, through some sort of remote instruction. So I, I know a number of schools will be looking at, at their curriculum and then kind of looking at, all right, hey, what can, we, what, you know, what can we offer remote compared to what do we must bring a student into the campus to do something hands-on? So I do fully anticipate that. And that's important for a lot of reasons. It's just more, maybe more efficient in general. But, but honestly, if you look at our student populations, um, you know, we most of our institutions are they're not residency schools. They don't have dormitories. These are generally working adults that have families. And and you know, a lot of times, you know, they may not make a decision to go to an institution if they know they got to spend X number of hours each day on site. And and if if the school is willing to, you know, are able to assure them that hey, you know whatever the percentage is, 50%, 25%, 30, you know, whatever the percentage of the program can be done online or remote in some way, and you only have to come into campus on, on these hours, um, yeah, I think it will, you know, could open doors for more, more students to get trained in a number of our number of programs. So I do think schools will be looking at that. At the end of the day, I do not think many of them will tr transition to 100% remote or 100% online. Uh, very, there are some programs our schools offer where that's probably possible but majority of them will require some sort of hands-on component and um, moving forward. So I anticipate probably a lot of schools moving to some sort of hybrid version, and that hybrid version may look different for each institution, but I do think there'll be some, some level of hybrid version moving forward. Some of the other positives I would say is, although I, as I talked earlier about maybe some potential short-term um, enrollment issues because of this, I think there's a lot of possible positive long-term uh, growth, and I say that because our institutions historically, when the when the unemployment is high and the economy is down, people need retrain and reskilled, and and a lot of times they go back to a short term training program like the ones our schools offer to get that done. So I I see potentially some growth in the sector in the long run. Um, that I think that's a, a, a positive. And the last thing I'd say, one positive I, I kind of saw from this is, although our association in general has always been one of the I would say strongest, most collaborative in the you know the states in the country. I say it got even more collaborative and, and, and possibly even stronger through this. I know a lot of schools were talking to one another 
they need just to kind of, you know, pick the brain or, you know, the ear of someone, one of their colleagues from a different institution. So there's a lot of, a, you know, discussion amongst members that I, th I thought grew through this. And I think a lot of people realized that, that the political advocacy was needed through this and that I think people realized that, you know, um, you know, an association, a group of schools like this is needed to help with political advocacy and to work together to get things done. Um, and we've even had a few schools that were not members before that have now joined because they've realized that. So I, I see some positives for schools themselves, and I, I candidly I'd say I see some positives for the, the sector as a whole through the association moving forward as well. Wow, Aaron, you really you you've covered a lot. We're talking to Aaron Schenk, uh, executive director of the of PAPSA uh, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We're talking about COVID nineteen, talking about technical and, and career college reopenings. Uh, a lot covered. Hey, we didn't we didn't ask you in prepping for this, but but Aaron, tell me something. Is there is there are there websites or are there are there any things you could direct people to if if they want to go and just get an update? You were talking the different color codes for counties. I mean, they're, they're going to change probably on a weekly basis. I guess that you have any advice on that before we go on? Well, a couple of things. I mean, there's the general. I mean, you can go on the, the ones everyone talks about, like CDC, Department of Health, uh, Department of Education. So there's all sorts of information. Uh, on those general public websites. I would say from our side, the, uh, our association side, I would say probably if you go on our website, there's a drop down and a link to what's called our news. And that's essentially a, a daily blog, if, if for lack of a better term, that, that we put together that is all categorized by each day. And I think you can archive it back to for whenever. I think I'm not sure how far back it goes, but I know it goes back pretty far. So you can go through the archive of every day's information that we've sent out to schools. And that deals with stuff that's COVID related, not COVID related, it's all sorts of stuff for schools. But on our website, www.papsa.org, uh, get in there, find the news drop down, and look for the blog that's called Daily News. Now, if, if, they, want to, if they want to contact uh, school people or may not be members, they want to talk to you or contact you, you want to give us the contact information, email, telephone sure. number, that sort of thing, you, do you mind? Yes, that's fine. Uh, anyone who uh, wants to contact us, it, uh, email me directly is the easiest. It is Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at P-A-P-S-A dot org, and that's Aaron at PAPSA dot org. Aaron, we've covered a, a number of topics, but I want to make sure that if, if there isn't anything else that you wanted to cover before we close this episode of Imagine America Radio. I want you to give you this time to do it. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, the, I thought we covered a lot. I thought the one thing I would like to also share that for schools to be thinking about, something that we've been telling our members, is one of the things we did through this is we looked at all the various models, and there's been lots of models been put out, and some are right, some are wrong, but we tried to kind of look and average the models, and, and most of them showed that, you know, as we're seeing happening now, is that this is starting to be on the backside of the curve uh, in, in at least Pennsylvania, I can't speak on every state, and, and it should be on the, you know, tail end of the curve sometime mid-June, and that so far those models are holding, but I want, make, I want to make sure schools understand that most of the models also predict some level of around two of this. Now, again, it's anyone's guess when and how strong that will be. Most people think it will not be as strong as round one, uh, and most people think it will be probably sometime in this fall. Uh, hopefully, it does not ever rear its head again. But if it does, I, one of the things I've been telling schools is to have a plan in place for the fall and moving forward, too, so that should this hit again, that, that we're, not, you know, we're not having to, to go through what we just had to go through the last two, three months. Um, you know, work with your state officials, uh, work with your internal plans at your schools so that if there is a round two and knowing that if there is a round two, it may hit timed at the same time as flu season, which could make it even more complicated, 
that you are prepared to deal with that. So I just want to make sure schools are planning not just to get through these, you know, the, the period they're in now, but that they're planning for that for a potential round two. And we all hope that doesn't even happen. But please, please think about that. that. And I just would finish also saying that our, at our PAPSA conference, which is going to be held August 6th and 7th in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, we are um, installing some sessions into the conference agenda, both looking back at COVID in terms of what have we learned and then also looking ahead. So um, that's something that I just want to make sure your, your listeners heard as well. So thank you again for your time. We want to really thank you for your time. Um, we've been we've been doing a lot of these podcasts on COVID-19, and it's very exciting to, to hear um, different organizations like PAPSA taking a major leadership role in helping people to understand what's going on. I guess my my overall takeaway is number one is if you got a question about where your school, what your school is, should be doing, or what the status of your the county is within within where you service, you should call Aaron Shank and you should take take advantage of his of, of the information that he's got. We really want to thank you. Want to thank PAPSA for your leadership and what you've done. Also want to thank our audience, uh, which has taken time out of their very busy and often hectic schedule to join us for this edition of Imagine America Radio. On behalf of my colleague Lee Doubleday and myself. We hope you'll be safe and we look forward to talking to you all again very soon. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Imagine America Radio. We hope you found it informative. For more information about future episodes and the Imagine America Foundation, you can go to our website, imagine-america.org forward slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts, and to get information on the many programs offered by the Imagine America Foundation and Imagine America Publishing. Please subscribe today so you won't miss any of our upcoming episodes. For now, thank you very much for joining us and best wishes.